BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome back to another episode of the Still Curtain Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Jagai, editor of StillCurtain.com. Joining me, to, joining me today is my co-host, Shane Kubis, contributor for Still Curtain. Shane, we got a lot to talk about today. We got a big divisional matchup against the Cleveland Browns coming up on Thursday Night Football tomorrow. Uh, but first, let's dive into our Steelers-Patriots recap. That game did not go as planned. I predicted a Steelers win. I really thought that uh, that, that the game would be close. I thought that I uh, th- I thought that the Steelers would pull out a game in what proved to be a slugfest in a low-scoring affair. I told everybody to hammer the under. Uh, the point total was well under, and Steelers just could not do enough offensively. They ended up falling fourteen to seventeen in that contest. What are your biggest takeaways from that? It's it's got to be about the offense, right? Like we this is what we talked about going into that game. Like we wanted to see them bounce back and prove they could move the football consistently. And once again, they could not do that at all. The run game still wasn't really productive. It was a little bit better for the backs at least than it was in week one, but still not very good. The, the pass blocking, run blocking was better than we expected. So that's really what's concerning about that is the fact we still couldn't move the ball even with the offensive line playing better than I think we all expected. And I, we, they really need to change things up for next week or for tomorrow coming up if they're going to do anything different on offense. Yeah, I mean, it was much of the same like we saw in week one. It's just just not good enough offensively. So let's dive right into the winners and losers. We've got a lot to cover today. So winners from this game, uh, I can go ahead and go first. I thought that the Steelers' defense in general did a pretty good job with the exception of the pressure on the quarterback like that without TJ Watt there, there was, there was just no, nobody to get consistent pressure. Um, again, though they held their own, it, it wasn't a perfect performance. Didn't have the five takeaways like they did in week one. Uh, but I thought that the, the defense in general did a pretty good job containing the run until that very last drive there. Um, and then in the passing game, I was a little bit frustrated with all of the posts and slants that the Patriots were consistently able to hit but it didn't amount to much. Like it wasn't the reason why the Steelers lost this game. They only surrendered 17 points by the end of the game. And seven of that was on the big touchdown reception that Akella Witherspoon gave up where he was in position, couldn't quite make a play on the ball. And so uh, the nickel and diming really didn't hurt the Steelers too much. Um, On the other side of the ball, I think that the offensive line actually did a pretty good job. Like this unit is, it's a pleasant surprise to say the least but it's a little bit frustrating that the offense is still performing as poorly as it is with the offensive line actually stepping up and doing their part. Uh, So far on the season, the Steelers offensive line as a whole through two games has allowed seven total pressures. And that's really not bad considering this uh, group that we saw last year, they have taken that step in the right direction. 
Um, and we'll see if they're able to continue doing that uh, tomorrow night against the Browns. Uh, so Shane, who are your winners from week two? I think winners go, you kind of hit it on the head. The defense overall really stepped up to the plate outside of the pass rush. I think that that's understandable considering how much of an impact Watt has. And even though Highsmith, I think, is a really good player, he did his best. He had a little bit of pressure occasionally, but it just he didn't get home quite fast enough. And Jones was able to like escape the pocket and pick up a couple yards where he still made an impact, just not in a sack or pressure. And the rush defense outside of you yeah, like the end of the game was pretty good. I think they just started to key in on, on what they were doing and they were able to take advantage of that. But the defense can't sit there and say that they didn't do their job. Right, You let up 17 points to admittedly a not good offense, but you really only let them just trickle down the field occasionally and, and get some points off turnovers and stuff like that, So especially that muff punt. Which, yeah, and I will chime in real quick yeah. too, Shane, because – now we talked about the Akella Witherspoon touchdown reception. That was seven of it right there. Yeah. More points came off of the Gunnar Oshevsky muffed punt where yep. they were already right there in the red zone ready to score again. And so, like we said, the nickel and diamond didn't do much. I thought the defense did a good job overall. Yeah, I think that the thing about it, though, is that although it didn't really allow any points, they didn't get anything out of those drives except for, like I said, the big touchdown and the muff punt. I'm surprised they didn't get a little bit more aggressive with trying to take away that stuff just because this is a Patriots offense that outside of the one play to Aguilar who had a really good game overall and, and Myers over the middle, they don't have a whole lot going for them, especially in the passing game. So it's definitely surprised that they weren't a little bit more aggressive there, try to take away more of that stuff in the middle of the field. But again, ultimately, it didn't make a difference in the game. It was really the other things that happened around them. Um, you feel really bad for Akello because that was just a crazy catch by Aguilar. I mean, like it, it's really hard to fault the corner for that. He was in good position. It just didn't work out. So you hope that he can bounce back from that. As far as winners, like you said, the offensive line in general has just played way better than we expect them to to start the year. And you touched on it. The fact that we haven't been more productive on offense than last year as a result is what's really concerning. And we're going to talk a lot about that today for sure. Yeah, and we go back to Witherspoon one more time. It's it, On paper, it's going to look like an awful game from him. Yeah. And it wasn't his best performance. But, man, if he's just, just able to get a hand on that <laughs> ball right there, like it's going to improve his passer rating when thrown yeah. to, all that kind of stuff. So uh, I'm not worried about Witherspoon. I think that he's he's the best corner yeah. that this team has. I think he's yeah. going to uh, end up being that guy that, that typically takes their top target away on that left side over there. Uh, but I, I feel like uh, – the defense, again, in general, played pretty well. Let's get to our losers. Two big ones this week, and I wrote an article about it. And, man, I went back and watched the game uh, in the broadcast view. I went and watched it all 22. And it is so hard to come away from this game and not point fingers at Matt Canada and Mitch Trubisky. Like, those are the two guys. It's like everything else would have been good enough. Like, the running game wasn't great. Still only averaged 3.8 yards a carry, but – Again, it's a, it's a step in the right direction from what we've seen and, and how bad this unit really has been over the last couple of years. Uh, the passing game, not so much. I mean, there was the, the route concepts were poor. Uh, going back, you could see, like, there, there was a play that I, I, I watched that there was three curls and a go route. Like, Seth Walter, ESPN, he was making fun of how poor George Pickens is being used right now, basically on goes and curls in, in fade routes. And that's, that's like his route tree. And so there's just no creativity in offense. I think that uh, I was a combination of things. I think that Trubisky did also miss when there were opportunities, although the opportunities were limited down the field, he did miss some receivers and I cut some of those plays up as well. And so 
like if I was to give like a split here, like uh, of who to blame, I would say like 65% Canada, 35% Trubisky, but it's certainly those two players for me. Do you agree or disagree? I definitely agree. And I think it's funny you talked about them as a joint kind of thing and trying to split the blame because, and we talked about it earlier as a group. Like I think that Canada is trying to be very conservative with his offensive approach because he doesn't trust that the offensive line, even though it's performed above expectations, can hold up. And I think that this, in general, he wants to create yards after catch. He wants to get the ball out quickly to his receivers. He is a college guy, ultimately. And that's kind of how he's taken his approach to the league, which it doesn't work like that, especially when you have the personnel that we have that can get down the field and can create big plays. You don't want to limit them to what they've been doing. But then on the flip side, Mitch is feeding into that more than already than it would be because he himself is very conservative as a passer because of the issues he's had in his career reading the field, going down the field. You go back to his last few starts with the Chicago Bears, the average depth of target had to be under five yards. Like I, I, I feel like it, maybe it was a little hmm. bit more than that, but it couldn't have been much more than that. right? Like He was just saying, I'm taking what's there. I'm not going to try to do anything crazy. I don't want to lose my job, basically. And I think that in his head, he's just reached a point where he doesn't feel confident going down the field and actually creating big plays unless it's like an out-of-structure thing where he has no choice but to do so. Yeah, I think it's a really bad combination for the Steelers, honestly. And it's sad because the offensive coordinator and the quarterback mean so much and they're so important to the offense. But Trubisky's unwillingness to take shots down the field, specifically over the middle, we're going to talk about that in a second, Uh, Combine that with Canada just trying to play ball control offense. Look, it's hard to play ball control offense when you can't run the football and you can't control the clock. And if you can't do those two things, you need to scrap that game plan because that's not working. And all it's going to do is you're not going to be able to score points and it's going to get your defense gassed. This defense played 100 snaps in week one, 100 on the dot, counting the extra ending of overtime there. And so that is not a recipe for success at all. I think that Canada and Trubisky are largely responsible for just the sheer lack of offense in general. This offense has scored 15 points per game. If you look at, I mean, if you look at uh, team rankings or wherever else, it's going to tell you 18.5. Minka scored a touchdown defensively, and so that counts towards it. So the offense itself has scored 15 points a game. If you take away overtime, they've scored 13 and a half points a game. Uh, which is right there near the bottom of the league. And so that it has to improve. Like it has to improve. And I feel like it's got to be a combination of both. I think Trubisky needs to be more willing to throw the ball over the middle of the field. And Canada needs to be more willing to loosen the reins on him and allow him more of these true pass sets where he can make plays instead of all the scripted stuff where he's rolling to the light, right and throwing to, to Claypool for a, a four yard out or, ha- or having a scripted screen pass, whatever it is. They just they need to they're feeding off of each other right now and, and, and not in a good way at all. Uh, so let's talk about our biggest takeaway from this game. If you have one takeaway from this game, Shane, what is it? For me, it's that Canada needs to completely throw away his game plan to start again. He needs yeah, to go into what, you know, if you want to, people say going into your lab, right? <laughs> Figuring stuff out. Mm-hmm. He needs to come up with a way to force Trubisky to look for the big play first. Give him looks where he, all he has to do is make a read on whether the guy's open down the field. If he's not, fine, check it down. But it has to be the primary read on the play. Because you can tell all these like rollouts, all the little things you're doing, the primary read and what he's supposed to do is dump the ball off to whoever it is. It's not him looking downfield first and then deciding to check down. They're built in little 
plays that are basically extensions of the run game almost at this point. And that's fine. You, you want to sprinkle those in and, and make guys come up and tackle, give your guys a chance to break tackles, run down the field. But if you can't complement that with shots down the field off those same looks, they're just going to keep coming up closer and closer to the line. I mean, corners don't even backpedal half the time against our receivers at this point. It is that bad. Like They don't even have to worry about the threat of the deep ball or any of that going on right now. So until he can scheme that stuff up and make Mitch say, you know, tell him, hey, I understand you're, you don't want to make a mistake. If you see the if you see a shot at it, throw it. I, if it's intercepted, I don't care. At least the defense has to wonder if she'll throw it then. That's almost what you have to tell him, I think. And maybe that won't matter. Maybe you still will just take the check down. But at least if you try to do that, you're going to give yourself a chance to create plays on offense and not just keep dinking and dunking down the field for nothing. Yeah, and that's been my mentality too. It's like, what's the sense of only taking a sack or two per game or throwing 0.3 interceptions per game or whatever it ends up turning out to be if you can't move the ball and if you can't score? And so yeah. I agree with you there. I'll go a little bit different direction. I'll say Trubisky and some Canada sprinkled in together. The most concerning thing for me, for the biggest takeaway that I have from week two and going back to week one collectively, is there the, just no pass attempts over the middle of the field. Get this. According to Next Gen Stats, there's been nine total pass attempts of 71 that have gone beyond five yards that haven't been to the sideline. Nine pass attempts of 71 that have gone beyond five yards, but have not gone to the sideline. So that's that area anywhere, anywhere in the middle of the field. It's just not being utilized at all. Less than any team in the NFL is doing so right now. And so that's a number that needs to change. You are not going to find success if you can't pass the ball over the middle of the field. If you look at how these good offenses do it uh, in uh, Kansas City, in Buffalo, um, you have to utilize the middle of the field. And so I know that those those – teams obviously have much better quarterbacks than we do, but it's no excuse. Like what if that's a whole area that you're taking away and it's an area the defense doesn't have to account for. So let's move on to our next topic. And it's kind of what we're already talking about right now is why are the Steelers struggling so bad offensively? What is the biggest issue and how can we fix that? Shane, do you want to go first? Yeah. And I kind of think you touched on it is that part of the field, the middle of the field is something that has to be utilized more, whoever the quarterback ultimately ends up being. And I think part of it for, for Mitch at least, right? Like obviously the concepts aren't going there. They're not getting the ball into that part of the field. And they should be with guys like Chase Claypool who can take the top off through the seam. Pat Frymuth is obviously a, a weapon in the passing game. He should be working in the middle of the field. Even Deontay, he'll get in the middle of the field on dig routes and stuff like that. You can use these guys in that way. And you have Pickens to be the primary like down the sideline type of player. You can keep him in that role and try to use him more. But the other guys, they can all do that. They're just not getting used that way. And I think if that changes, that will help things tremendously just because, again, you have to worry about that then as a defense. You can't crowd the sidelines. You can't just let guys run into you basically for tackles after seven, eight yards. And for Mitch, I think he can't. He just doesn't read the field well. That's been the book on him for his entire career. And I wonder if that's part of why that's being called the way it is, where he doesn't trust him to make middle-of-the-field reads, which if that's the case, then again, why is he playing? That, and that's ultimately exactly. what I think we're going to end up talking about a little bit today is like if Mitch really can't read the field well enough to make some of these concepts work, to make some of the deeper throws, the middle of the field throws work, why is he playing? He's the veteran guy that you're supposed to try to compete with. And if he can't compete, what are we doing? Like what is the point of doing this this way? So, Yeah, I mean Mitch right now is kind of playing like 
Kyler Murray without the mobility. It's like you're right, a five ten quarterback back there that that can't see the middle of the field. And Mitch is big enough <sighs> to see the middle of the field, it's just not being utilized. And yeah. so uh, going back to like those receivers again, 5.5 yards reception for Chase Claypool. That's a far cry from like the 13 yards per catch that he's no, usually <laughs> averages. And obviously he's using a different role. He's used from the slot. But I expected to see more seam stretching from the slot. Yes. Uh, some wheel routes out from the slot where you get him out to the outside, kind of like they did in the preseason. He had that big play in the preseason. There's mm-hmm. been none of that. I mean, Nothing. it's only been these scripted plays where I, Claypool is running an out route one way or the other. And so – you need to get him involved. You need to get some routes for George Pickens going across the middle of the field. Like this guy is only used on the sidelines right now. Goes, fades, curls. That's that's his route tree. Um, and the same for Deontay Johnson as well. I mean, Johnson is the most used of the receivers so far, but you're still using him primarily just on the boundaries and underneath. And so uh, they, they've got to find a way to, to open that up there. Let's talk about who's to blame again. And both of you and I already touched on uh, Trubisky in Canada, and we agree that it's primarily those two right there. Would you add anybody else to that? Like, who who else do you say? Like, if if it's more than this, if more than this is the problem, is why the Steelers are only scoring 15 points a game, who else is it? I hate to say this because, and I think that it's being overblown a little bit on Twitter this week about this player, but Najee's not looked like a guy who can hit the hole properly and find the right way to go. And there's been some plays that have been pointed out. And, like, yeah, some of them you could argue, like, yeah, the, the defensive tackle might shed and come inside and tackle him or the linebacker might. And that's fine. But, like, he doesn't look quite as explosive as last year, even though he isn't the most explosive player, especially north and south. It, the foot's probably bothering him. I'm sure that's part of it. But he either doesn't trust his offensive line or is still struggling with his vision a little bit. I think it's probably a little bit of both he definitely needs to step up and and create some more yards in the run game because the line, although it's still not great as a run blocking unit, it's not as bad as we expected. Same thing with the pass blocking. Pass blocking has improved more than run blocking, but it's still, there's mm-hmm. holes there that last year there, they weren't there. And he needs to hit them and get, you know, seven, eight, nine yards instead of trying to bounce everything outside. Yeah, I agree with you there a little bit. I looked at Najee on the all 22. I do think that uh, he could be hampered a little bit still because of that foot injury. Uh, but there are some holes. There are yeah. some. There's there's not a ton, but there are holes in the holes that he's missing. And you'd like to see him uh, be able to correct that a little bit. And, and what I said on Twitter the other day is what's most concerning to me is that the offensive line actually, I mean, this isn't the concerning part, but the offensive line is playing better than expected. Yeah. Um, they're, they're grading out well individually. They're grading out well as a unit, according to, to football outsiders. And so I don't think that that's the biggest issue. I don't think it's nearly as big of an issue in these first two weeks that we thought it would be. Exactly. So because the offensive line is not a glaring weakness, you need to see Najee be like significantly better than Jalen Warren. You've got this walk on running back, essentially this undrafted free agent, five foot eight out of the big 12. And he's looking as good or dare I say better right now than what Najee Harris is. And that should not be the case when you draft a running back in the first round, 24th overall. And so you want to see Najee kind of just take the reins here and just and just be that workhorse that they drafted him to be. He needs a guy that he, he needs to be a guy that's more efficient than the guys behind him on the depth chart. Um, and he was last year, but that's largely because it was Benny Snell who was beside him. And uh, he averaged three, like 2.7 yards, 3.3 yards of carry over the last two years. It was really, really rough. So, but But the fact that Warren is comparable to Najee right now is a little bit concerning to me. I will say too, though, I, that I, while I think that the uh, the pass blocking has improved, 
the run blocking still has work to do. Um, it does, yeah. I, I noticed a few plays where, where Dotson kind of just whiffed. Um, and the same could be said for James Daniels as well. Um, and so the, I think it's a collection of if we're not just blaming Trubisky in Canada, who I think Shane and I would agree deserve most of the blame, then I think the run blocking, the combination of the run blocking and Najee needs to improve a little bit as well. I, sure. Would you go as far, Shane, to say that Trubisky and or Matt Canada is in the hot seat? Let's just look at it right now in terms of because I feel like still, even even at this point with what we've seen, knowing Mike Tomlin, I still feel like it's unlikely that either of them lose their job like after this game. But if you were to put a game on either one of these guys, like let's start with Trubisky. When do you think that Trubisky is going to be replaced by Kenny Pickett based on what we've seen so far? So I think I'll, I'll answer it two ways. I'll answer it how I think it will actually happen if it does, and I'll answer how I would handle it just because, you know, I always want to do that. Mm-hmm. So from looking at it from the Steelers' perspective, I think if they start one and three, I think if they drop this game and they drop the game of the Jets, I think at that point Tomlin says, you know what, we're not competing. We're not winning. This the whole point of this was that I wanted to win, and, and I felt Trubisky gave me the best chance to win. He's not getting it done. Someone is coming in. I assume it would obviously be Pickett at that point, but it, it, someone else is coming in. That's when I think he says, you know, we can't be one and three with quarterback play this bad. We can't do it. I would already be considering it personally if it wasn't a Thursday game. Even if it is a Thursday game, I might still consider it. But if we lose this game and Trubisky is a big reason why he's done, in my opinion, like I, you're sitting down, we're letting Pickett go in there because at the very least with him, I trust that he's going to try to target any guys that are in the middle of the field. He's going to try to target. That's what he's really good at hitting those intermediate throws over the middle of the field. He's really good at that. He feels comfortable doing it. So even if the plays don't go there consistently, when they do, I feel confident he's going to hit them it's going to be an improvement to some degree. And I think that's what's so concerning is I'm so confident at this point that Pickett would be an improvement. And it's not even because I think he's fantastic right now. It's just that I know he's going to hit the parts of the field that aren't getting hit right now. Yeah, I agree completely there. And uh, I mean, let's look at the schedule right now. Like the Steelers mm-hmm. have this game tomorrow night against the Browns. You've got 10 days off after that before yes. your next game. Now I'm not saying mm-hmm. what the Steelers <laughs> – need to do but if there's a time and if, let's say Trubisky has another third game in a row with 5.1 yards in attempt and abysmal offense and can't even put up 16 17 points you I mean Tomlin's really really got to be thinking hard about that at that point right I got 10 days off I can get my rookie prepared uh to come in and and not only do you come in on 10 days you come in 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 your next game is home against the New York Jets and so that one uh that one there, it makes sense. Like that kind of be like yes. a confidence booster game, potentially not that the Steelers are guaranteed to win that by any stretch, especially considering the play calling. Uh, but it, it does make me wonder. Let's shift gears for a second. And let's talk about Matt Canada. Uh, it, I think you and I would both agree that Trubisky's losing his job before Canada, right? Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> so yeah. Is there anything like I know how the Steelers operate typically and they don't like to do like midseason firings with their coaches is there any way that Canada loses his job during the season or did the Steelers wait until the offseason or does he show back up again next year? So I, I could see two scenarios. I think that it is very unlikely that he is actually fired prior to the end of the season. 
I could see a scenario where Tomlin takes play calling duties away from him and makes it a joint effort between the offensive staff. Maybe you get Sullivan involved, the quarterback coach, maybe you get some other guys involved, try to build out a different game plan and scheme for this team, right? Especially if they do change quarterbacks, if you want to try to target what Kenny Pickett is really comfortable with. That, I think, is an option. I think the other thing that we could see is that Tomlin basically tells him, you need to change the offense to better fit our guys or you're not going to be here. I think he gives him an ultimatum and Canada ultimately kind of just says, fine, you know, I will adjust things a little bit because at this point, if he hasn't done it already, he's going to have to be told to do it. It's going to have to become an ultimatum situation. I don't see how else it's going to happen. If he hasn't looked at the game films so far and said, man, maybe I shouldn't be doing a lot of this. Like if it's going to take that, I hope that someone, whether it's Tomlin or whoever else may have the authority to do so tells him this, but I don't see him getting actually fired. It's either going to be a joint effort or he's going to have to be forced to change this game up. Yeah, I think that's the case as well. It's just that just seems like such an unstealer move. Like yes. they're loyal to their coaches to a fault. Um, yes, and so yeah. I think that that's not going to come until the end of the season. And I, honestly, with the way things are going right now, I'd be surprised if they didn't make that change, even though Canada hasn't been here all that long. They're, they're not going to be able to keep going on when there's there's no offensive production at all. Um, I hope it's the ultimatum scenario, if not yeah. a, a, Matt, a Matt Canada firing, which seems unlikely. Uh, but the ultimatum of you need to get more aggressive. You need to call more plays that allow your quarterback more freedom uh, with his decision-making and throwing the ball over the middle of the field. And so I hope that's what it is. Uh, they need to do something here to get a spark. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's safe to say that both of these guys are in the hot seat. It's just that Trubisky is almost certain to lose his job before yeah. Canada does, even though, like I said, I would probably blame Canada more so than Trubisky for how things are going right now. Yeah, I have. I'm hard pressed not to agree with you there. Okay. All right. If you are a fan of the Pittsburgh Steelers and you'd like to support this Steel or Still Curtain podcast, please consider subscribing to the Still Curtain podcast on YouTube. We appreciate your support. Let's dive into the Steelers versus Browns. Big matchup, Thursday night football. Uh, both teams sitting at one and one right now, coming off of losses. The Steelers obviously lost 14 to 17 to the Patriots. The Browns dropped a heartbreaker, a game that they thought they had in the bag in a 31 to 30 loss to the New York Jets, the team that Steelers play next week. The Steelers opened this game on the road, and actually the opening lines were different depending on how you go to. Some had the Steelers uh, plus three. And some, some had them as big as plus five and a half. The, the line was up to five and a half. The Steelers underdogs five and a half at one point. Uh, right now, most lines have them at four and a half point underdogs. Do you agree with where the line is right now for the Steelers? And what would you take on that? I think it's totally fair because when you're on the road, it's a quick mm-hmm. turnaround. Both teams are coming off varying degrees of heartbreak in terms of their losses for sure the browns definitely the way they lost that game is the type of loss that could spiral a season let's just be we we have to be honest about that like that's kind of what you could expect from that especially with their situation the quarterback and other things and the worst part about it to me i think if you're a browns fan is it's not the offense at least in this case the offense played plenty good especially the run game and even Brissett acquitted himself well they just could not stop the Jets in the second half, and especially just the, mm-hmm. end, the end of the game specifically. And this is Joe Flacco we're talking about. It's not like you're facing Zach Wilson, who has at least big play potential occasionally. The fact that Flacco came back and did this has got to bring back some bad memories for that team, you know. I mean, so 
it's 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 going to be rough for them to come off that. I do think though that they're going to be motivated to play a team that cannot score the football, and I think that's why this this you know plus four and a half is totally fair because the Browns probably don't have to score more than you know twenty plus points to get that line to get to that point. So, yeah, I mean, again. Typically, the way the odds work is the Browns are given three points, being the home field advantage. And so if this game were played in Pittsburgh, the Steelers would uh, theoretically still be the underdogs by probably a point and a half. Um, It'll be interesting to see how this goes, because the Browns secondary has been porous so far. Like you should be able to to shred that thing up. At the same time, we're talking about maybe the worst passing offense in the NFL. (laughs) And so something's got to give here. It's either going to be the Steelers in Trubisky having a 200 yard, 225 yard game, couple touchdowns, or it's the Steelers proving that we can't even perform against a secondary that's been uh, incredibly vulnerable so far. And not to good teams either. As you said, Baker Mayfield, Joe Flacco, those are the two teams they've played so far. I don't think anybody's projecting the Panthers or the Jets to make it to the playoffs this year. And so the Browns have had kind of a cake schedule to start their season off with. Uh, the Steelers, I think, should be the hardest team that they play in these first three weeks. And so Ideally, defensively, yeah. I think the Steelers will give them a challenge. It's just something's going to give here because uh, the Steelers are they're allowing and scoring – uh, roughly 14 points per game, 17 points per game. I just looked this up, and now I forget off the top of my head. But the Browns, it's 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 the opposite for the Browns. They are scoring and giving up roughly 28 points per game. And so either the Steelers' offense is going to break out in this game or the Browns' defense finally comes through against a bad offense and they have their per- first good defensive performance of the year. Uh, so one thing that I want to talk about this week in particular is an advantage towards the Steelers. I know that we don't have TJ Watt, huge, huge impact player, uh, a guy that honestly, like I said before, probably means more to the Steelers than their starting quarterback does, because that's the difference between Steelers starting quarterback and their backup. You'd rather take a defensive player. He's that good. And he's that impactful. Um, but the Browns have a lot of injuries this week. Yeah. Jadavian Clowney already ruled out. He's obviously uh, the guy playing opposite of Garrett. Never a huge, huge stat production guy. Never topped nine sacks in the season before. But a guy that's going to get consistent pressure, is very good against the run, uh, very dependable uh, pass rusher on that opposite side. Uh, in addition to that, they have 10 guys on IR right now, one of which is Chase Winovich, who is the backup to Miles Garrett and Clowney. And so they're kind of just depleted depth-wise all around the roster. And then you add on top of that, uh, Joel Batonio has not practiced uh, with a bicep injury. And Jack Conklin looks like he's going to play, but he's been dealing with an ankle injury. And so that's a lot of things stacked on top of each other, especially you consider the only person on Steelers injury report right now is Devin Bush. So how big an advantage, advantage do you think that gives the Steelers this week? I think it does give them an advantage, especially, like you said, Clowney being out in the run game because whoever's going to be opposite Garrett, mm-hmm. if Garrett's even super healthy because he was dealing with something apparently with a neck injury, they're not going to be able to hold up as nearly as well as Clowney is, especially against the run. Like the pass rush, he's a good pass rusher, but it's not going to be as much of a difference, I think. It's going to be, can we take advantage of that in the run game? Can we finally get pushed and can we open lanes that Harris is comfortable running through? That's going to be a big thing. And just in general, anytime you're the healthier team, you are theoretically in a better position to win than you would be otherwise, especially if it's a player like Clowney that is a big part of their defense. Yeah, so let's go ahead and take a look at the players to watch for this week. We're talking about Garrett, so let's stay right on that subject right now. That is the player. That is the guy that you need to single out 
on offense and you need to say, I'm putting a running back on him. I'm putting a tight end on him. I am chipping him. I am not leaving Dan Moore on an island, especially considering the circumstances. Jadavian Clowney, like we said, is out of this game. You'd no longer have to worry about a Corafor on the opposite side if you even did too much to begin with. Right now, Corafor is rated as the fourth best offensive tackle in the NFL. I don't know if that's going to hold true throughout <laughs> yeah, the season. Someone tells do, me yeah. it's going to trend down a little bit, but do you know who Okorafor is going to be going against this week? It sounds like Isaiah Thomas and Alex Wright, two rookies who have a handful of snaps combined so far. And so that's not a matchup I'm worried about anymore. And I, I, Okorafor is going to take care of business on that side. I fully expect him to. Shift the focus to Garrett. Garrett has been a stud so far early in the season. That's, not, that's nothing new, really. That's just the player that he is. Um, he's up there with one of the best in the league. Uh, he's a front runner for defensive player of the year, all those things. And so um, stop him, stop him at all costs. That should be your offensive game plan. And I don't care if it takes a max protector and an extra guy in there at all times. If you have enough time, you should be able to pick this Browns secondary apart right now. Uh, like the, the Panthers have in the, in the jets have so far. So I want to see the same happen. Um, what do you have? Who do you have as, as one of the other players to watch this week? I think the linebackers for the Browns have been actually probably the the best part of their defense outside of Garrett. I think you have to be careful. And and this is part of the problem with them, though, is like the the Steelers don't want to attack the middle of the field, right? Like we know that. But the fact that they already don't might actually help them a little bit in this game because I don't love attacking that part of the field with, I really think like Mac Wilson has been very good for them. You know, Mm -hmm. Wishikor Mo is a really good player. Like the guys they have in there right now, linebacker, are playing better than they ever have together. And that might be what limits us offensively more than anything, even Garrett, because you can kind of, like you said, if you choose to try to take him away, you can throw guys at him and try to protect yourself from him. Once you're in space, though, you have to beat those guys. And they're not even trying to do that anyway. So I feel like they're going to end up not being able to take advantage of that part of the field regardless. Yeah, let's. Uh, I, I agree. That's that's definitely something to look at right there. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if they if they try to adjust their game plan. All if they go in with the same exact script, and then it wouldn't matter anyway. Then you're going to be keep doing what you're doing, sidelines and and everything underneath. Um, anything else that you want to add, Shane? Any other players matchups to watch this week? I think you got to be careful, even though the secondary hasn't played well so far. You have to be very careful of Denzel Ward. Because he's the kind mm. of guy that if you throw something out there to the sideline and he jumps it, it he's gone. He, he's got too much speed. Yeah. He, he's going to be a pick six if you throw it late to that side of the field. So Mitch has to be very careful making sure his timing's on when he's going to the sideline because as good of a route runner as Deontay is, if, if Ward can break on something, it, he's taking it back. And that's something we can't afford to give them points when we can't score any ourselves right now. Yeah, and on the opposite side, Amari Cooper's coming off of a good game. I don't necessarily view him as like this uh, Jamar Chase-level threat that you're going to have to draw draw all your attention to, especially when Jacoby Brissett is throwing him the football. Um, But So what I will say, though, is they do need to account for him coming off a a nine-catch, 100-yard game and and played pretty well last week. But more importantly, I think the big test on that side of the ball for the Steelers this week is going to be Pittsburgh's run defense – against Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, two yes. guys that combined for almost 200 scrimmage yards last game alone. Uh, boy, what, what would we give to have Steelers running backs combined for 200 scrimmage yards? We can't get 200 <laughs> passing yards in a game. Yeah, I would so, just like 200 yards Yeah, in general from either yeah, side. 200 yards. Yeah. Side <laughs> side give us 200 yards. 
Yeah. I, I, yeah, totally. So, I mean, containing those guys is going to be key. This is the, the biggest challenge they faced so far, uh, bigger than Nixon because the Browns offensive line is good, although banged up. Um, and those, I mean, that two headed punch is just lethal too. And so if the, the Browns get steamrolling in this game, uh, they're going to wear that defense out fast, especially when Steelers offense can't stay on the field. Like we said, they played a ton of snaps in these first two weeks, way more than they should have had to play uh, considering that overtime as well. And so I don't want to see that defense get worn down. They need to key in on the run. I'd bring everybody up. I'd put the extra defender in the box. I'm making Jacoby Brissett beat me this game. I'm not allowing them to chunk off five, six yard runs consistently against me, because I think that's going to be a recipe for a disaster. Uh, so if you had to say, where should the Steelers, where do they need to improve most in this game in order to come away victorious? Creating big plays on offense, right? Like, and we, we keep harping on it and we're, we're going to have mm-hmm. to, because this is objectively the worst offense in the NFL right now. That's just, I think that when you factor in how much talent we have as well, outside of, you know, quarterback, especially in offensive line playing better than we thought, it's just so disappointing to see this team consistently just go three and out or get one or two first downs and pump the ball back. And until they can create big plays or at least create enough plays outside of their sideline tosses and little short throws to consistently move the ball, we're going to just continue to say, see the same things. And we've already seen Canada just has a game script and he wants to stick to it. And it almost feels like he's like, oh, eventually the dam's going to break. It's not going to break, Matt. I'm sorry. Like They know what you're doing. The corners know what you're doing. They don't even have to, like I said, they don't even have to get into a full backpedal most plays because they know what's coming. At some point, if they don't do something different or at least target some of the guys who are getting down the field on some of these plays, we're just going to continue to see them put up you know, 10, 13, 16 points and hope that the defense can save them. Yeah, and it is so disappointing considering – who you have as skill players. Like I think the Steelers have rock solid skill players with Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, George Pickens, Pat Fryer with Najee Harris. That's not the issue, but those guys are going to be a reflection of how the quarterback plays and what, what type of plays are called. And in the same lines, the offensive line, like we said, has at least done pretty well in uh, pass protection. They're actually graded out so far as the 11th best pass protecting unit, according to football outsiders, that's not bad. And, And they're only getting rid of the ball ninth fastest in the NFL. This is a team that used to, they used to, Ben used to rocket that bit, that ball out of his hands as fast as humanly possible. When ben he was breaking records. Ben was breaking records. He was breaking records his last two years. And so to go from first in that category, which is we're not where you want to be down to ninth, that's improvement at least. Yeah. So they're holding the ball a little bit longer. Um, but yeah, my, I'll stay on the same lines as you uh, where the Steelers must improve, but I will say risk-taking. It, yeah. And so that goes with what you're saying, but It doesn't matter to me if Trubisky has to take an extra sack or two or three. If it's going to make us uh, be able to find somebody down the middle of the field, be able to open up the offense, uh, have more firepower that can actually lead to points, it's worth taking a few negative plays now and then. You saw what the Bengals almost beat, almost beat the Steelers and should have beat the Steelers. We talked about this, the blocked extra point, the missed chip shot field goal, and that was with Burrow turning the ball over five times. The Bengals turned the ball over five times but they had enough firepower still, and they were taking enough chances. They still almost won that game. Like I said before, what is the sense of not taking chances if you can't run the ball and you can't control the clock? Two things the Steelers can't do. And so because of that, they need to make up for that by taking more risks over the field. You need to throw the ball there, even if you're trying to, to fit it in a window or, or throw it 15, 20 yards down the seam. It's going to get the defense on their heels at the very least. It's going to force a defender out of the box 
It's going to open up things for the run game. Uh, so I think that that is definitely an area of improvement uh, that they need to show this week. Um, we'll skip the keys to success. We kind of already talked about that. We're going to go right to our game predictions, Shane. So how do you see this game playing out? I know both you and I take the Steelers last week, right? Mm-hmm. And they let us down. All right. So what do you see going? Uh, how, do, how do you have this going for, for Thursday night football here? So I've tried to avoid doing this because of the way the schedule laid out for the Steelers, but I'm finally going to pick them to lose because I can't look at the first two games on offense and say, you know what? I can trust this team to get me 20 points. I think they're going to have to score at least 20 points to win. And I don't think they can do it. So until they prove me otherwise, I have the Browns winning 21, 17. I think it's going to be a close game throughout. I do think ultimately though, the Browns will get a last minute touchdown somewhere around there and the offense will stall and not be able to go down and either win the game or at least try to get in position to win it. And until again, until they show me otherwise, until Canada and Trubisky together can show me that they can make something happen on offense that we haven't seen already, I'm probably going to have to continue to pick like that because I just can't trust them to score 20 points, which is sad in today's NFL. I like your logic behind that, and it, it makes perfect sense. And that's the way that I want to go again. <laughs> but, but I have a feeling this week Tomlin is going to be in Canada's ear. I hope two, so. Two games in a row. Everybody, all the media, everybody's talking about the completely lackluster offense. It's it's fire Canada. It's bench Trubisky, everything like that. And so, I, although I don't know how they're going to do it, I do have the Steelers pulling this one off again. And I'm going against Vegas for the second week in a row. And like we said last week, the Steelers almost did it. I mean, it, it, it took, a, it took yeah. a Witherspoon uh, touchdown and the missed opportunity there on that big play and the muff punt that led to points as well. And the Steelers only lost by three. But again, it came down to the defense. Is the defense going to be able to hold against the Browns? I think so. I think mostly. Um, and I have them holding the Browns to 17 points. The question now becomes whether or not Steelers can score more than 17 points offensively because they haven't done it yet this season, although we're looking at a fairly small sample size. I've got the Steelers winning 20-17. to 17. I do think they get a bit more aggressive this week, although – I think the game plan is going to be mostly the same from what we've seen and Canada's not going to change things up too much, but perhaps they just have a bit more success doing it this week against a defense that I think is much worse right now than the Patriots uh, defense last week. Anything else you want to share today, Shane? I did, have, I did kind of have like a uh, hypothetical for you that I thought you might find okay. interesting. So let's say it's 21 to 10 going in the fourth quarter, right? on mm-hmm. thursday and the offense has done absolutely nothing our only touchdown was off like a turnover that was like a 10 yard you know drive and we scored on it and trubisky has an interception or two he's not getting anything done do you think there's any chance that we see pickett step out on the field in the fourth quarter of a game in that situation i think the, yeah if the game is out of reach i can see pickett coming into the game yes um i can't see trubisky getting bench early for any reason, really. Like right. if, if we're talking like second quarter of the game or coming right. out of the tunnel with Pickett, I think it would have to be, I, I really do. I think it had to be a blowout one way or the other. And we know the Steelers yeah. aren't blowing out the Browns with the way that their offense is right now. Yeah. So yeah, I, I do think there's a chance he could, and we'll keep an eye on this because man, this is, this is not just a story for this week. This is the story of the year. This is what yeah. fans want to hear. They want to see 
When is that guy, the guy that we drafted to be the franchise quarterback, when is he going to come step onto the field? And like we said, after this week, the Steelers have a 10 gate or 10 days off before uh, they have to get prepared for the New York jets. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what, what they decide to do after this week. I kind of think it's going to be later, but uh, you got a, a manageable opponent. You've got a lot of time to prepare. If Trubisky puts up another dud, like he has the first two weeks, it'll be something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I think it makes All too right. much sense at this point. Yeah, I think so. And I think at some point you just have to, you have to cut the string there and you have to move on and, and try to give yourself a spark. All right. Thank you for joining us on the still curtain podcast today. You can follow Shane on Twitter at Shane Kubis. You can follow me on Twitter at Tommy Jagai. You can download the still curtain podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Also check us out on YouTube and thanks for listening to the still curtain podcast.